Good morning. Good to be with you, Fairhill Church. Uh, good to worship with you. Uh, good morning to those who are at home. Um, we're so glad that you can join us. Uh, now, we are starting a brand new series this week. Uh, we are looking at the book of Acts, uh, a sermon, titled, a sermon series titled, uh, The Foundations of the Church. The Foundation of the Church. Now, uh, if you haven't, haven't uh, been keeping up with things, uh, we are a new church. We are a new church, and a lot of the things are the same, and a lot of things are, some things are different. We have new people. We have new leadership. Um, we have just a, a new vision. And as we think about what we want to be as this new church, uh, we don't want to take for granted that we know what the church even is and what it should be doing. We assume that that should be the case, but uh, once again and always, we go back to Scripture, and we go back to the Word, and we say, okay, uh, Jesus established his, his church in the book of Acts, and how can that help us establish the church now? How can we be a, a, a church that isn't for ourselves, but is, is for Jesus, and lives out of the principles that are established in Acts, that lives out of the foundation that is found there? And so that's going to be our uh, series for uh, most of the summer. And this week we are looking at um, perhaps one of the most important. We are looking at the mission of the church. That Jesus has laid down uh, the path set for the church. What is the church supposed to be do, to do? What are, what are you, as members of the church or as attenders of the church, what are you called to be a part of? How do we know if we are actually doing the work of the church or not? And that's going to shape who we become and, and what we do and how we glorify the name of Jesus in this place and in this body called the church. And so uh, with that in mind, we are going to look at, uh, at Acts 1, at the mission. We're going to see that mission of the church, remind ourselves of the mission. We're going to see the power, the power that we have been given to do that mission and then finally we're going to see the reason that that mission is so important. All right, so the mission, the power, and the reason for it. With the ultimate goal that we might see that for the joy of doing so, for the joy in store for us, we are witnesses to Jesus. We are witnesses throughout the world to the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. Joy, mission, Jesus, power and the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Acts 1, uh, looking at verses 1 through 11. Now Acts is going to be just past your Gospels, and here we are, Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, 
It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power from the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus, that he came to establish his kingdom, a kingdom of grace, and Father, that he now reigns on high at your right hand. And Father, we thank you that he has empowered us to do the mission that he has given us. Father, we ask that we might not just hear about your mission, but we might receive it. Receive it and take it upon ourselves that this would be uh, the calling of your people, and Father, that would be the joyful work of the church. Father, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you give us eyes to see Jesus? Would you overwhelm us with your love and your grace? Would we gaze upon the face of Jesus, and would we then go into the world joyfully proclaiming what he's done for us? We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So Acts starts with uh, just after the resurrection of Jesus. There's a kind of an overlap between Acts and Luke. And so Jesus has died for the sins of the world. He is resurrected in glory. And he is now the, the king over the kingdom of God, establishing his reign over the world. And he tells them, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right. So Jesus, the sacrifice and the resurrection, the work that he has done is completed. He is resurrected to become the reigning king and to establish a kingdom that is unique, and it is contrary to the world, a kingdom where the king doesn't rule on high. He dies for his people. He gives them eternal life. He adopts them into his family, where the weeping shall be comforted, where the, the poor shall be the possessors of the kingdom, where the, the whole order of the world is switched upside down. The kingdom of God is being established. And built into this kingdom of God throughout all Old Testament prophecies, uh, the Holy Spirit has come alongside that kingdom. And there's this promise that the Holy Spirit will come and, and will baptize the people that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the apostles, the apostles are hearing all of these things. They're hearing them for 40 days and there seems to be this climactic moment where Jesus leads the apostles up the Mount of Olives. And you can feel that the, the tension in the air, they can feel like something's happening as they stand looking out over Jerusalem, 
over the holy city. And they've been thinking about these things, that the Holy Spirit has come, that he's talking about this kingdom. And it seems like something amazing is about to happen, something climactic in the life of the, the church, in the life of, of God's kingdom. And they asked the question, when they'd come together, they asked him, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they asking? They're asking, oh wait, is it time? Is it our time yet? Is it time for you to come and reestablish and restore the kingdom of Israel? The Davidic throne, the, the throne of Solomon, the golden age of Israel now, this is a terrible question. It's just like totally missing the marks. Uh, deeply flawed question. And Jesus, what does he say? Uh, he doesn't rebuke them for it. He just, he just kind of lightly sets them off on a different path. What does he say? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me or upon you, excuse me, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, what is he, what is he subtly getting at here? First, uh, you don't need to know the time. You don't need to know the time because uh, the time isn't, isn't the important part here, actually. Uh, the thing that when it's coming in the future is not the important thing. There are two important things that are, are looming in the future, are coming to you that you do need to know about. It's not the time of the kingdom of Israel being reestablished. No, it's two things. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses. That if you want to know what the future holds for you right here and right now, it's those two things. Power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. And in this, Jesus is, uh, is subtly correcting their whole view of what the kingdom of God is about and why Jesus is leaving and why they are staying. And he gives them the mission, the mission of the church, the mission of the body of Christ, the mission of the people who've been called out to follow Jesus. So let's talk about this first. First, we're going to talk about the mission. So what is this mission that Jesus gives them, and how does it shape them? All right, first, what did they think about the mission? At first, they thought, first, there, that there was no mission. They didn't have anything to do. What are they supposed to do? They're assuming, well, we've been waiting. Or do we have to wait longer, or are we done waiting? That's our mission. Our mission is to wait for you to do your mission, and we'll just kick back. All right, and at best, at best, if they're... If there is a mission going on, it's that Jesus is going to come and bring an earthly kingdom, the kingdom that they have imagined, that they will most enjoy, the new Israel, which they're not looking forward, they're looking actually behind. You know, will you restore us to the greatest thing we can imagine, that the kingdom of Israel would be restored? And Jesus, what, what, does he, what does he do? Uh, he says, 
don't worry about all that stuff. Uh, first, no, you're not going to be waiting. You have a mission. You have a mission, and you're going to be working. And that mission is not my mission. It is your mission. It is your mission, and I'm calling you. And what was that mission? To be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission of the people of God. All right, so what does it mean first? Uh, to be witnesses. To be witnesses. Uh, primarily, this means witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus comes and, and proves to them for 40 days that yes, he died and yes, he resurrected. That he died for sins and now he rules and reigns. That sins have been forgiven. The gospel of Jesus. That is the, the core of this witness. They have seen it and they proclaim it. All right, but it's not the whole witness. All right, there's other things that they have witnessed. And they have, they have witnessed the miracles of Jesus, the, the evidence that he is God. They have witnessed his teachings about the kingdom. They have witnessed his teachings about the law. And that the law is not this, this ladder to attain righteousness. It's this, this sword that cuts us to the depth and says, you know, you are a sinner and you are fallen and you desperately need to be saved. And that the perfection that you have to attain can only be found in Jesus. And they have been witness to the fact that Jesus stands against hypocrisy and self-righteousness and, and the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All of these things they have witnessed and they are called to, to bring all of those things to the table. Appropriately, Tom mentioned the, the Great Commission and I'm so glad that uh, our hopefully-to-be elder recognizes this is the mission and, and he's been about that mission. Uh, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All the things that we've learned about Jesus, uh, all the things that the apostles have learned about Jesus, they bring to the table that they may be disciples and followers of Jesus, knowing and following all that Jesus has commanded. All right. This is not a waiting game. This is a work to be done. We're not waiting for a kingdom to come. We are working to build the kingdom here and now. Now, likewise, okay, uh, where is this mission supposed to take place? Now, what were they assuming? They were assuming the mission was supposed to take place uh, right there in their hometown so they could get all the benefits of it. And then Jesus says, you know, he directs them, you know, what is it going to look like? It's instead going to look like going, yes, to Jerusalem. But then to the surrounding Judea and Samaria. Oh, Samaria, we don't like them. Those are the enemies, those are the Gentiles, they're not welcome. And then expanding out to the very ends of the earth. This is a subtle way of saying, you know what, this kingdom is not about you. It's not about what your kingdom needs to be like, it's about what God's kingdom is going to look like. And they're going to see 
throughout this whole book how, how close-minded they've been about the kingdom of God and its expanse. The mission is not about waiting. It's not about ourselves. It's not about themselves. It's not about the people of God getting what they want. It's about the kingdom of God expanding for the glory of Jesus by the witness of his disciples. All right. Now, uh, who cares? Who cares? Why do you care? Why do you care? It's not inherent that you should care. So I, I try to explain these things to you. Uh, that mission is our mission. I shouldn't have to bridge that gap, but I'm saying it. All right. Their mission is our mission. We are one people. We are the church. We are the people who've been called by God, the people of his kingdom. And our calling is to witness to Jesus. Now, in our sin, we will try to turn the mission into something else. There are lots of missions in churches that are not this mission. All right, there are churches where, uh, where we are about uh, building for ourselves a network of friendships and, and delightful relationships. The church is a country club. Other temptations of our heart, we want to turn the church into a hiding place from the sins of the world, what do we become? We become a, a doomsday bunker, waiting out until, until God finally comes and we don't have to deal with this place any longer. All right, others of us, we're, we long for this church to be this, uh, this back to the future kind of utopia. It's a time capsule then maybe we can go back a few generations when things weren't so messed up. All right, for others of us, it's, it's, a, it's one big, long, extended theological Bible study discourse. And we get to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And what is this? It, the church is an ivory tower, a theological ivory tower. All right, for others, they just want to do good and help people. And the church becomes a soup kitchen, all right, there are missions. There are missions that are not the mission of the church. And if we don't adopt this mission, we will inevitably adopt other missions and other causes and other purposes, and we will have missed that we're called to, to testify to Jesus. That we are Jesus' people speaking about Jesus for the sake of Jesus so people could receive Jesus. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Jesus, yes. Uh, and that is, what, that is what we are called to do. Now, I know that for many, that is the, the unfortunate caveat of the Christian life. is that It has this, uh, this tagline at the end that says, oh, by the way, you have to go share your faith. I know that that feels like the, and, and, and it's also kind of an optional and like, for extra credit, you can go do that part. Uh, no, that's the mission. That's the whole point, all right? That is the calling, and that's where, okay, you come here. Everything we learn here is supposed to be taken out there. And that's where I admit that there's sometimes I want to talk about things that have no relevance out there, that I just like for my sake. All right, there's a... Uh, there's like eternity and souls hanging in the balance out there. 
And then we're called to care about them more than we care about our comforts and our delights and our pleasures in the church. That's the mission. That's what we're called to. That we're not called to be a church for ourselves, a church that exists to make itself comfortable or make itself uh, an enjoyable time to meet every Sunday. All right. As we have to ask a question, okay, are we a church on mission? Are we a church on mission? I'd say not to the extent that I want us to be on mission. And I say that corporately. I say that taking the responsibility. I think, I think we can be more on mission. I think we can be more joyfully proclaiming Jesus. I think we can fight to, to ruin this church by inviting sinners and people who are just going to mess it up and make it all messy and terrible and will be fulfilling the mission of God. Amen? All right, yes. You, if you say amen, you have to mean it. Because it will. If the church is the people of God, if you bring a bunch of people in, it's going to change. And we have to be open to that, that reality and that being that the, that the church isn't here to stay stagnant for ourselves. It's here to change, to bring sinners and, and new believers in. All right. I want to see more of us mobilized. I want to see more neighborhood Bible studies, more work, evangelism, more hospitality. I want to see those things in this church. And I think we, we can make ourselves more about the mission. And I think we'll be more joyful in our faith for doing so. Now, I know what you're thinking. All right, this is going to be hard. I don't know how to do this. I don't necessarily want to do this. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be scary. It's going to impinge upon my enjoyment of the church and maybe my enjoyment of my life as a whole. And that's where if the mission were set upon us without anything else, yes, we'd be crushed by it. Because we are not capable of doing the mission. But Jesus knows that. He knows we cannot alone do the mission, and so he gives us the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to do the work that he has given us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now let's jump back to the apostles. Jump back to the apostles. What did they think the Holy Spirit was there for? All right, he was just a checkbox. All right, there was a list of things that needed to happen to bring the kingdom back. And, you know, he, he was on that list and like, check. I don't, I don't know if they knew what he was supposed to do. Uh, and that can be the reality in the church. Is that if, if all we're supposed to do is be waiting around for Jesus to come back uh, and hunkering down and making sure we have a kind of a happy time on Sunday, uh, you don't actually need much Holy Spirit. You don't need power. You don't need him to come and empower you to do anything. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, what do I need power to really do in this life? In your day-to-day -day life, what do you need power to do? Now, I don't want to at all mitigate the fact that the Holy Spirit is making you not a horrible, wretched sinner uh, as much as you could be, because he's doing that, and we desperately need him to. But that's not all he does. 
And he's not just there to, to fight our sin. He's there to, to send us out on mission and to empower us to do this mission that is impossible. And that's where, to some extent, I picture the Holy Spirit waiting around in our hearts, bored to death, because he hasn't seen any action in a long time. And he's waiting to go out and do stuff, and he, he just hasn't. Because we're like, well, Holy Spirit, I couldn't possibly do that. That'd be too hard. He's like, that's the whole point. Like, let me out. Let's do some stuff. Uh, all right, an analogy for this. Uh, stupid analogy. All right. All right. Hummers. Hummers. What were Hummers supposed to be? They're military vehicles. All right, they're supposed to be made of like pure steel and they don't have leather seats. They have plastic seats. You can hose them out after they get, everyone barfs on them. Like that's the whole point. And they're supposed to like be strong so you can stick a gun on the top and shoot people while driving the truck over like, yes, like that. All right, you get it. And what did we do to it? We painted it yellow <laughs> and we put, we put, cushy leather seats in it and flat screens and subwoofers and we take it now to Costco so we can get, get toilet paper. That's what we've done to this poor thing, the Hummer, and it's so sad. And, all right, we've domesticated the Holy Spirit and we've taken the third person of the Trinity, fully God and all of his power and we say like, yeah, like help me Help me not get so frustrated when we don't have tomatoes at the grocery store. And that's okay. But there's more to his power than that. And I recognize I'm, I'm the first and the most guilty to say that, like, I, I am more confident in my fears than in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I think about the mission, I first think, like, I won't be that convincing, or I have, no, I, have, I have no rapport with this person, or I can't imagine how they could possibly come to faith. There's the, the Holy Spirit. He's got that part. That's the whole point. And that's where, to some extent, and at some point, we're going to have to step out, walk onto the water, and say, okay, Holy Spirit, do you, let's see. Let's see you do it. And I think we're so terrified to take that step because I think we believe our fears far more than we believe that the Holy Spirit has power to do these things. And if the call is to really go out, we desperately need its power. All right, what are we really called to do? We are called to love sinners, not just witness them, to love them. All right, if you're going to love someone, you have to actually like get in their lives and spend time with them and care for them and die for them. Sinners who, who don't love you, who don't want you in their lives, who at best are messy because we're, we're sinners too and we are messy. And they will ask you to sacrifice and they will... They'll mistreat you in their sin, not even meaning to, but they will. And they'll, they'll bring their immaturities and all of those things to the table and put them in our lives. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that. Or else we're going to run from those relationships and say, forget it. 
I'm way more comfortable at church than talking to you. All right, there's the reality that you will be persecuted, you'll be disliked, you'll be hated even. I still think one time I was sharing the gospel, at, it was like at, at UCLA, so okay, uh, <laughs> not ripe fruit maybe, but uh, and there's this guy eating lunch, and like, hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? And what did he say? He said, I don't think that would age very much in my digestion. Please leave. <laughs> it's like, okay. Like, if you keep doing that over and over and over, like, we need the Holy Spirit to encourage us and remind us that, like, yes, we're trying to give people life. That they, even if they hate it, like, we all hated Jesus at first, too. And, and we are trying to overcome people and save people and give people Jesus who are dead and who are deaf and who are dumb. Not dumb like that. Like they, I, I, I didn't mean, I mean, I meant blind. That's right. I intentionally didn't say dumb because it didn't make sense. Sorry. Dead, blind, deaf. Like people who, who love their sin and who hate God. That's the sinner. And we desperately need the Holy Spirit. And if this feels like a daunting task that isn't possible, it is. It is by yourself. And that's where last week we talked about, like, prayer. Prayer must saturate. Like, Holy Spirit, please help me. Please come. Please do something. But he is there. And he's been given by Jesus to empower us to do the mission. May we believe that he has that power. Amen? Now, that takes us to our, our last point. Uh, why is the mission so important? Why is the mission so important? Two reasons. It's important because Jesus left and Jesus is coming again. Because he left and he's coming back. Verse 9. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he would lift, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. All right. Now when Jesus went up, he went up in resurrection glory to sit on his throne, and these are his parting words. These are the parting words of our Savior, of our King, of our first love, of our bridegroom. These are his parting words to us. And if we say that we love him, then we say, okay, we, we love this mission that you've given us. We will take this mission. We will hear it. That he now rules on high. He now sets the agenda. He is the head sitting on the throne. And we are his body. His body is not here physically. His body is here in us. And if Jesus, our head, says he wants us to go to the world to witness, then we as the body are called to respond. And that's where we finagle theology and we try to say things like, well, you know, it's, he's sovereign, he can do it. All right, if your head, if your head told your hand to move and it didn't do it, and your hand said, well, you know what, you're sovereignly in control and, you know, you should, what would you say to that hand? Like, no, just work, please. 
<laughs> Please do what I'm saying. Uh, I've given you everything you need to do it. I'm in control. Go. Go and do it. That's where we don't often talk about Jesus like that, but he is our head. And if he gives us a mission, he, he gives us a mission for a reason. And we said, you know what, as the body, let's respond. Let's respond to the head and let's do the work. Now, uh, he is gone. He is ruling. He has all authority. He is working all things. And he is going to come again. He is going to come again. And the mission is set in the context of Jesus coming back. And when Jesus comes back, there will be one kingdom. And there will be one king. And the time for evangelism will be over. The time for witnessing and sharing our faith will be over. That there are some things that don't last into eternity. That's one of the few. Our chance to share the gospel is only here and now. And the faith of those people, when Jesus returns, either they have had faith in Jesus or they have not. That is the reality. And they will either be judged for all of their sins or by the grace and mercy of the cross. And we long for more and more people to glorify Jesus because they found mercy and grace and aren't judged for their sins and condemned. And Jesus will come back. And Jesus will come to his church. And he'll say, like, I gave you, I gave you the gospel. I gave you this, this mina, this treasure. What did you do with it? It's a reality of his coming back. And we want to say, look, look, we, we built your kingdom. We witnessed. We did all that we could by your power. That he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's, it's Steve and my responsibility to make sure that we can all say that corporately together that we can joyfully say that we have pleased the one who, who saved us. All right, but last, last, when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, we'll realize once and for all that Jesus was on mission. That Jesus was on mission, and when Jesus came here, what did he do? He built his kingdom by dying on the cross, by raising to new life, by pursuing each and every one of us, that he has pursued us to the ends of the earth, that he has conquered our rebellious hearts, he has overcome our sin and our blindness and our spiritual deadness by the Holy Spirit, that when he raises us up to glory in that kingdom, we're going to realize all that he has done for us. And at that point, we're going to realize that the mission to glorify the name of Jesus was the greatest joy and the greatest opportunity to glorify his name and the greatest opportunity to love him. And that for the joy of glorifying Jesus, he gave us the mission. And that's where if you talk to people who have embraced the mission, you'll notice that they're more joyful in talking about the work they have done to build the kingdom of God than anything else. 
and the stories about seeing people's like eyes light up and the, the, the shame and guilt fall away because they have seen Jesus and seen him in the reality of the gospel, that that is the most joyful thing that those people have ever seen. And to watch God work is a joyful thing. Now, I'll give one story about this. My, my favorite memory, one of my favorite memories, uh, in the Middle East, doing missions, um, I also realized there that I'm not good at missions, and that's why I'm a pastor and not a missionary. So uh, this is in no way to glorify myself. Uh, I was real bad, actually. Um, but, all right, we're, we're invited to the home of this Muslim woman, and we're sitting on this balcony overlooking, actually, one of the ancient cities. I think it was Smyrna, actually. And she starts talking about the, the shame and the, the pain of being a Muslim and that she would go, she would go to these, these daily prayers and she would just weep. And she couldn't help it. And that those who were in charge there, they would tell her to stop crying. Stop crying. You're, you don't need to cry here. This isn't the place to cry. All right. She left. She left to get more food because Middle Eastern people like giving people food. Uh, we learned that very quickly. But we realized, we were like, okay, we should, we should, have, we should like tell her something. What should we tell her? And we had this, uh, the Injil, we had a, a Turkish Bible, and we said, okay, like, she, she should read the passage about the, the woman weeping over Jesus' feet. And we're like, well, none of us know where that is. So, but we, okay, so we just gave it to her. And we're like, hey, here, read this. And she starts reading, and she, she starts reading the, like, little child who's playing the flute, and they're not dancing, and then they play another flute song, and they're, they're crying, and it's all confusing. And we're like, oh, like, Man, missed opportunity. No one understood what that was in about. We couldn't explain it. She didn't understand. Um, and she, I'll keep reading. And she starts to read that passage. That's the next passage. And she's reading about the woman who's weeping over Jesus' feet. And he doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't cast her off. He welcomes her and lifts her up and says, The religious leaders have not washed his feet in tears. And in that moment, we're talking about Jesus loving this woman, and you hear the call to worship coming across the, kind of flowing up the mountains. And you see the, the kingdom being fought and the battle going on, the battle for this woman's heart and the work of Jesus and the beautiful testimony that we have. All right. That is the joy of sharing the gospel. That is the the taste of like, we get to see the, the spirit working, things that we could never do. We had no power, but, but Jesus does. And we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do his mission. And I want to be a church that overflows with those kind of stories. Not for our sake, but for Jesus' sake. And for, for the joy of the people who are, get to see the Holy Spirit working and the name of Jesus glorified. Amen. Do you have any questions? Questions?
Let's pray. Father, we ask that we might receive your mission with great joy. And Father, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might overcome fear and burdens and the doubts that we might be capable of fulfilling your mission. Because Father, we know that we are not, but we ask that we would believe that the Holy Spirit will work, that he will glorify the name of Jesus, that he will make our testimony powerful. Father, would you shape our lives that we would not receive your, your mission casually or as an option, but, Father, with great joy, knowing that you do not give us anything to burden us, but that we might have greater joy in Jesus. Father, we praise you, and we thank you that you have come on mission to save us. And, Father, our mission is only a response, that it is never a grasp at, at deeper salvation or deeper righteousness, that we stand in perfect righteousness in Jesus. And Father, for the joy of doing so, we ask that we would, we would be on mission as Fairhill Church, we pray in Jesus' name.